the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Senator, I want to begin where I left off with Admiral Stavridis, the new president of Iran, as the admiral said, put the H in hardliner. He's a killer. He signed thousands of death warrants. And he said, we're not going to give up our missile research. We are not going to stop supporting uh, groups outside or uh, change our regional activities. That means Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis. Why are we still in Vienna negotiating with them? (laughs) Well, Hugh, for Joe Biden and Barack Obama and the rest of the Democrats, it is always a good time to make a bad deal with Iran. Um, You're right that the new president of Iran, Ibrahim Marisi, is a stone-cold killer. Uh, he uh, executed thousands of political prisoners in the late 1980s. He's a hand-picked successor, uh, not only for president, but most likely for the supreme leader position by the supreme leader. Um, but the Democrats, led by Joe Biden, of course, view this as now critical to reenter the nuclear deal. You know, I remember in 2013 when Iran elected the so-called moderate, it was critical that we uh, pursue a nuclear deal with them to empower the moderate. Now that they have elected the hardest of hardliners, it's critical that we pursue a nuclear deal so we can tie the hardliners' hands. There's never uh, a bad time for these Democrats to pursue a bad deal with Iran. And, and Hugh, you, the reason is, and the, your listeners need to understand this, is that Joe Biden and his negotiating team, they're not getting fleeced. They're not being outwitted by the KG Iranian negotiators in Vienna. They're getting exactly what they want. They think that if they can move Iran's nuclear program out of the center of the debate about U.S.-Iran policy, then they can uh, pursue a kind of broader tacit alliance with Iran to balance off against our traditional allies, most notably Israel, but also the Arab nations in the Persian Gulf, um, who are no longer in favor with the young, liberal base of the Democratic Party. So that's ultimately what this is about. It's not about stopping Iran's nuclear program. It's not about getting a stronger and longer deal, as uh, President Raisi has now said there's no chance of doing. It is about trying to uh, quell the debate over Iran's nuclear program so they can enter into a kind of tacit alliance with Iran. So one of the things that Admiral Stavridis said is that exactly what you said, this is the designated successor for the supreme leader. It is a theocracy. There's one leader in Iran. I had not read that. Is Raisi been tipped to by our intel agencies, or is that public knowledge, or is it just generally assumed by Iran experts that he's the guy? Because Khamenei is 82 years old and has been rumored to be in ill health for years. Uh, so most observers of Iranian politics um, believe that the supreme leader um, wanted to plan for a succession uh, that would elevate someone that would continue to run the country in the same kind of theocratic, iron-fisted way that he did. The influence of the office of the presidency in Iran has waxed and waned over time. Um, I I think, though, that um, the Supreme Leader now, recognizing that his time with us may not be much longer, 
elevated Ibrahim Raisi, who, again, is a stone-cold killer who executed hundreds, or I'm sorry, thousands of political prisoners and has been a, a what you might charitably call a hanging judge in charge of <clears throat> the Office of the Prosecutor and Judiciary in Iran, is cut from the very same cloth. Well, that that's another argument just to get out of Vienna in a hurry. I don't think it's going to happen, but it ought to. Let me turn, if I can, to China, Senator Cotton. The uh, Your remarks with Laura Ingram yesterday that Joe Biden doesn't have the stomach to make China pay for their behavior at the start of pandemic caught a lot of attention. Uh, the the fact is there are not going to be any sanctions, are there? on China? There's not going to be any kind of recourse other than maybe trial lawyers in the United States. Do you think that you might offer some sort of uh, waiver of sovereign immunity for China so that, that damages can be sought here by the families of people dead as a result of their at least negligence? Hugh, I propose such legislation. Uh, let's say the Democrats who are eager to do so for the victims of 9-11 are not so eager to do so for the victims of this plague that China unleashed on the world. Uh, there are many other things we could do, Hugh, to make China pay uh, for their malevolence and their negligence and their deceitfulness. We could revoke their permanent most favored nation status. We could um, demand that international organizations like the World Bank start treating them like the developed economy they are and quit giving them sweetheart financing deals. We could, you know, Hugh, we could take away visas for every single member of the Chinese Communist Party and their family members so their kids can't come take advantage of our best-in-the-world universities in a couple months. There are plenty of things we can do to impose real consequences on China, but I don't see that Joe Biden's administration has the stomach to do so. Well, they, they will telegraph that very soon with their decision on the Olympics in Beijing in 2022. I was uh, told by some people who are following it closely yesterday, if we issue a diplomatic boycott, we will be the only country in the world to do that. Do you agree with that, Senator Cotton? I don't agree with that, Hugh. I do believe that if that we have to... Uh, start a diplomatic boycott before uh, any other country will join us. Um, but I believe many other countries will want to take that step, countries that China have tar- has targeted um, over the last year for punitive action. Um, and But, that, Hugh, that should be the absolute minimum, a total diplomatic and economic boycott. No administration officials going to Beijing, no American CEOs who, frankly, should be pulling their sponsorships from the Beijing Winter Olympics to begin with. But, Hugh, there, there's also a more fundamental point. I, I want to see our athletes be able to compete. I want to see our athletes be able to beat Chinese athletes and bring home the gold. But the first thing we have to consider is the safety of American citizens. And those athletes and their coaches and their support staff could be exposed to electronic surveillance, to breaking and entering into their hotel rooms, um, to seizure of their DNA evidence under the guise of, say, uh, performance-enhancing drug testing or COVID testing. They could even be subject to arbitrary uh, arrest and detention, which China has been known to do to Western citizens. Um, I'm not yet confident that the Biden administration has taken the steps necessary to ensure the safety and security of our athletes. And if they cannot do that, then we shouldn't send any Americans to the Beijing Olympics to include our athletes and their coaches and sports staff. Great questions. Great questions. Yeah, Secretary Blinken and the president. Let me turn to your chamber. The voting bill is not going to pass. It's not going to get 50 votes, much less a filibuster proof majority. And the filibuster isn't going anywhere. Why all this uh, attention? Why all these column inches of wasted ink and paper and landing page space? It's not passing and it shouldn't pass. 
Well, no, it shouldn't pass. It's a, a massive power grab. Um, you know, the Democrats are frustrated uh, that they did not win large majorities last year. They didn't win a majority at all in the Senate. Um, so rather than change their agenda to win more elections, they want to change the rules of our democracy. And some of them want to change the rules of the Senate as well. Um, but, uh, you know, this effort to federalize our elections is massively unpopular. Americans don't want, for instance, mandatory mail-out balloting and ballot harvesting. Americans love voter ID at the polls, um, as opposed to the Democrats who want to outlaw it. And Americans hate, totally hate, the idea that their tax dollars would subsidize attack ads for politicians they oppose. And that's what this bill would require. Now, you know, the media is deeply, deeply behind this bill. They're deeply behind the effort to eliminate the filibuster and change the Senate rules forever as well. You know, Senator Sinema, though, just published an op-ed once again saying she's not going to do it. Um, and the media is going to keep asking the questions. At a, cert- at a certain point, it gets beyond reporting and it gets into advocating and promoting, which is what media have been doing for a while now. No, we're way past that point. Uh, let me close by asking you about the infrastructure bill. Uh, my friend Rob Portman, your colleague Rob Portman, says it's getting close that about 60 percent of the bill is written. Do you agree with that assessment? 60 percent of the bill is agreed to. Do you agree with that, Senator? Uh, so, so that's what Rob, <clears throat> pardon me, that's what Rob has told me. Uh, that's what others in the uh, group have told me as well. I think that refers to the agreement in principle. Obviously, it'll take some time to reduce an agreement in principle to an actual bill. Uh, you know, I'll have to review that at the time, as other senators will. I will say, though, that I commend them all for this effort. I think it's a very good thing for us to be trying to find common ground and consensus on areas where we can agree and advance the interests of our country without raising taxes, without borrowing a ton of money from China and charging it to our kids for the genuine and real infrastructure needs of our country. But how do you do that and then get screwed on the reconciliation? Aren't you being very bad negotiators unless the Democrats agree to give up reconciliation? <laughs> well, I think that's a big question. And the Democrat, a lot of Democrats are worried about that as well. You've got Bernie Sanders out there demanding that um, before he votes for this bill, which he'll be able to read, that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and all these other Democrats agree to vote for his bill, that $6 trillion that isn't even written yet. That, that's not a very reasonable demand for you. And I, I don't think it's going to fly with a lot of his colleagues. Oh, I hope you well, That would be the answer, which is we don't have to worry about reconciliation. That would be terrific. Senator Cotton, thank you so much. Have a great day. I appreciate your joining us. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.